Book One, Chapter Five, Part Three of The Octopus by Frank Norris. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The sound of hoofs grinding upon the gravel of the driveway brought her to herself again, and withdrawing her gaze from the empty plain of Los Muertos, she saw young Annixter stopping his horse by the carriage steps. But the sight of him only diverted her mind to the other trouble. She could not but regard him with aversion. He was one of the conspirators, was one of the leaders in the battle that impended. No doubt he had come to make a fresh attempt to win over Magnus to the unholy alliance. However, there was little trace of enmity in her greeting. Her hair was still spread like a broad patch of back, and she made that her excuse for not getting up. In answer to Annixter's embarrassed inquiry after Magnus, she sent the Chinese cook to call him from the office, and Annixter, after tying his horse to the ring driven into the trunk of one of the eucalyptus trees, came up to the porch and, taking off his hat, sat down upon the steps. "'Is Heron uh, anywhere about?' he asked. "'I'd like to see Heron, too.' "'No,' said Mrs. Derrick. "'Heron went to Bonneville early this morning.' She glanced toward Annixter nervously, without turning her head, lest she should disturb her outspread hair. "'What is it you want to see Mr. Derrick about?' she inquired hastily. "'Is it about this plan to elect a railroad commission? Magnus does not approve of it,' she declared with energy. "'He told me so last night.' Annixter moved about awkwardly where he sat, smoothing down with his hand the one stiff lock of yellow hair that persistently stood up from his crown like an Indian scalp-lock. At once his suspicions were all aroused. Ah, this female woman was trying to get a hold on him, trying to involve him in a petticoat mess, trying to conjole him. Upon the instant he became very crafty. An excess of prudence promptly congealed his natural impulses. In an actual spasm of caution, he scarcely trusted himself to speak, terrified lest he should commit himself to something. He glanced about apprehensively, praying that Magnus might join them speedily, relieving the tension. "'I came to see him about giving a dance in my new barn,' he answered, scowling into the depths of his hat as though reading from notes he had concealed there. I wanted to ask him how I should send out the uh, invites. I, I thought of just putting an ad in the Mercury. But as he spoke, Presley had come up behind Annixter in time to get the drift of the conversation, and now observed, That's nonsense, Buck. You're not giving a public ball. You must send out invitations. Oh, hello, Presley, you here? exclaimed Annixter, turning around. Two shook hands. "'Send out invitations,' repeated Annixter uneasily. "'Why must I?' "'Because that's the only way to do.' "'Is it? Is it?' answered Annixter, perplexed and troubled. No other man of his acquaintance could have so contradicted Annixter without provoking a quarrel upon the instant. Why the young rancher, irascible, obstinate, belligerent, should invariably defer to the poet— was an inconsistency never to be explained. It was with great surprise that Mrs. Derrick heard him continue. Well, I, uh, I suppose you know what you're talking about, Pres. Uh, must have written invites, huh? Of course. Uh, typewritten. <laughs> what an ass you are, Buck, observed Presley calmly. 
Before you get through with it, you will probably insult three-fourths of the people you intend to invite, and have about a hundred quarrels on your hand, and a lawsuit or two. However, before Annixter could reply, Magnus came out on the porch, erect, grave, freshly shaven. Without realizing what he was doing, Annixter instinctively rose to his feet. It was as though Magnus was a commander-in-chief of an unseen army, and he a subaltern. There was some little conversation as to the proposed dance, and then Annixter found an excuse for drawing the governor aside. Mrs. Derrick watched the two with eyes full of poignant anxiety as they slowly paced the length of the gravel driveway to the road gate and stood there, leaning upon it, talking earnestly. Magnus, tall, thin-lipped, impassive, one hand in the breast of his frock coat, his head bare, his keen blue eyes fixed upon Annixter's face. Annixter came at once to the main point. "'I got a wire from Osterman this morning, Governor, and, well, we've got Disbro. That means that the Denver, Pueblo, and Mojave is back of us. That's half the fight won, first off.' "'Osterman bribed him, I suppose,' observed Magnus. Annixter raised a shoulder vexatiously. Hey, "'You've got to pay for what you get,' he returned. "'You don't get something for nothing, I guess, Governor.' he went on. I don't see how you can stay out of this business much longer. You see how it will be. We're going to win, and I don't see how you can feel that it's right of you to let us do all the work and stand all the expense. There's never been a movement of any importance that went on around you that you weren't the leader in it. All Tulare County, all the San Joaquin, for that matter, knows you. They want a leader and they are looking to you. I know how you feel about politics nowadays, but, Governor, standards have changed since your time. Everybody plays the game now as we are playing it, the most honorable men. You can't play it any other way, and, pah, if the right wins out in the end, that's the main thing. We want you in this thing, and we want you bad. You've been chewing on this affair now a long time. Have you made up your mind? Do you come in? I tell you what, you've got to look at these things in a large way. You've got to judge by results. Well, now, what do you think? Do you come in? Magnus's glance left Annixter's face and for an instant sought the ground. His frown lowered, but now it was in perplexity rather than in anger. His mind was troubled harassed with a thousand dissensions. But one of Magnus's strongest instincts, one of his keenest desires, was to be, if only for a short time, the master. To control men had ever been his ambition, submission of any kind, his greatest horror. His energy stirred within him, goaded by the lash of his anger, his sense of indignity, of insult. Oh, for one moment to be able to strike back, to crush his enemy, to defeat the railroad, hold the corporation in the grip of his fist, put down S. Behrman, rehabilitate himself, regain his self-respect, to be once more powerful, to command, to dominate. His thin lips pressed themselves together, the nostrils of his prominent hawk-like nose dilated, his erect commanding figure stiffened unconsciously. 
For a moment he saw himself controlling the situation, the foremost figure in his state, feared, respected, thousands of men beneath him, his ambition at length gratified, his career once apparently brought to naught completed. Success a palpable achievement. What if this were his chance after all? come at last after all these years his chance the instincts of the old-time gambler the most redoubtable poker player of el dorado county stirred at the word chance to know it when it came to recognize it as it passed fleet as a wind flurry grip at it catch at it blind reckless was this his chance all of a sudden it seemed to him that it was but his honor his cherished lifelong integrity, the unstained purity of his principles. At this late date, were they to be sacrificed? Could he now go counter to all the firm-built fabric of his character? How, afterward, could he bear to look Harran and Lyman in the face? And yet, and yet, back swung the pendulum, to neglect his chance meant failure. A life begun in promise and ended in obscurity, perhaps in financial ruin, poverty even. To seize it meant achievement, fame, influence, prestige, possibly great wealth. "'I am so sorry to interrupt,' said Mrs. Derrick, as she came up. "'I hope Mr. Annixter will excuse me, but I want Magnus to open the safe for me. I have lost the combination, and I must have some money.' Phelps is going into town, and I want him to pay some bills for me. Can't you come right away, Magnus? Phelps is, is ready and waiting. Annixter struck his heel into the ground with a suppressed oath. Always these fool female women came between him and his plans, mixing themselves up in his affairs. Magnus had been on the very point of saying something, perhaps committing himself to some course of action, and at precisely the wrong moment his wife had cut in. The opportunity was lost. The three returned toward the ranch house, but before saying good-bye, Annixter had secured from Magnus a promise to the effect that before coming to a definite decision in the matter under discussion, he would talk further with him. Presley met him at the porch. He was going into town with Phelps and proposed to Annixter that he should accompany them. "'I uh, want to go over and see old Broderson,' Annixter objected. But Presley informed him that Broderson had gone to Bonneville early in the morning. He had seen him go past in his buckboard. The three men set off, Phelps and Annixter on horseback, Presley on his bicycle. When they had gone, Mrs. Derrick sought out her husband in the office of the ranch house. She was at her prettiest that morning, her cheeks flushed with excitement, her innocent, wide-open eyes almost girlish. She had fastened her hair, still moist, with a black ribbon tied at the back of her head, and the soft mass of light brown reached to below her waist, making her look very young. "'What was it he was saying to you just now?' she exclaimed, as she came through the gate in the green-painted wire railing of the office. "'What was Mr. Annixter saying?' "'I know. He was, he was trying to get you to join him, trying to persuade you to be dishonest, wasn't that? Tell me, Magnus, wasn't that it? Magnus nodded. His wife drew close to him, putting a hand on his shoulder. But you won't, will you? You won't listen to him again. You, you won't so much as allow him, anybody, 
to even suppose you would lend yourself to bribery oh magnus i don't know what has come over you these last few weeks why before this you would have been insulted if anyone thought you would even consider anything like dishonesty magnus it would break my heart if you joined mr annixter and mr osterman why why you couldn't be the same man to me afterward you who have kept yourself so clean until now and the boys what would lyman say and harran and everyone who knows and respects you if you lowered yourself to be just a political adventurer for a moment derrick leaned his head upon his hand avoiding her gaze at length he said drawing a deep breath i am troubled annie these are the evil days i have much upon my mind evil days or not she insisted promise me this one thing that you will not join mr annixter's scheme she had taken his hand in both of hers and was looking into his face her pretty eyes full of pleading promise me she repeated give me your word whatever happens let me be able to to be proud of you as i always have been give me your word i know you never seriously thought of joining mr annixter but i am so nervous and frightened sometimes just to relieve my mind magnus give me your word why you are right he answered no i never thought seriously of it only for a moment i was ambitious to be uh, i i don't know what what i had hoped to be once well well that is over now Annie, your husband is a disappointed man give me your word she insisted we can talk about other things afterward again magnus wavered about to yield to his better instincts and to the entreaties of his wife he began to see how perilously far he had gone in the business he was drifting closer to it every hour already he was entangled already his foot was caught in the mesh that was being spun sharply he recoiled again all his instincts of honesty revolted no whatever happened he would preserve his integrity his wife was right always she had influenced his better side at that moment magnus's repugnance of the proposed political campaign was at its pitch of intensity he wondered how he had ever allowed himself to so much as entertain the idea of joining with the others now he would wrench free would in a single instant of power clear himself of all compromising relations he turned to his wife upon his lips trembled the promise she implored but suddenly there came to his mind the recollection of his new-made pledge to annixter he had given his word that before arriving at a decision he would have a last interview with him to magnus his given word was sacred though now he wanted to he could not as yet draw back could not promise his wife that he would decide to do right the matter must be delayed a few days longer lamely he explained this to her annie derrick made but little response when he had done she kissed his forehead and went out of the room uneasy depressed her mind thronging with vague fears leaving magnus before his office desk his head in his hands thoughtful gloomy assaulted by forebodings 
Meanwhile, Annixter, Phelps, and Presley continued on their way toward Bonneville. In a short time they had turned into the county road by the great watering tank and proceeded onward in the shade of the interminable line of poplar trees, the windbreak that stretched along the roadside bordering the Broderson Ranch. But as they drew near to Carraher's saloon and grocery about half a mile outside of Bonneville, they recognized Harran's horse tied to the railing in front of it. Annixter left the others and went in to see Harran. Harran, he said, when the two had sat down on either side of one of the small tables, you've got to make up your mind one way or another pretty soon. What are you going to do? Are you going to stand by and see the rest of the committee spending money by the bucketful in this thing and keep your hands in your pockets? If we win, you'll benefit just as much as the rest of us. I suppose you've got some money of your own. You have, haven't you? You are your father's manager, aren't you? Disconcerted at Addister's directness, Harran stammered an affirmative, adding, It's hard to know just what to do. It's a mean position for me, Buck. I, I want to help you others, but I do want to play fair. I don't know how to play any other way. I should like to have a line from the governor as to how to act, but there's no getting a word out of him these days. He seems to want to let me decide for myself. Well, look here, put in Annixter. Suppose you keep out of the thing till it's all over, and then share and share alike with the committee on campaign expenses. Harran fell thoughtful, his hands in his pockets, frowning moodily at the toe of his boot. There was silence. And then... I don't like to go it blind, he hazarded. I'm sort of sharing the responsibility of what you do then. I'm a silent partner, and then I don't want to have any difficulties with the governor. We've always got along well together. He wouldn't like it, you know, if I did anything like that. Say, exclaimed Annixter abruptly, if the governor says he will keep his hands off and that you can do as you please, will you come in? For God's sake, let us ranchers act together for once. Let's stand in with each other in one fight. Without knowing it, Annixter had touched the right spring. Uh, I don't know but what you're right, Harran murmured vaguely. His sense of discouragement, that feeling of what's the use, was never more oppressive. All fair means had been tried. The wheat grower was at last with his back to the wall. If he chose his own means of fighting, the responsibility must rest upon his enemies, not on himself. It's the only way to accomplish anything, he continued, standing in with each other. Well, go ahead and see what you can do. If the governor is willing, I'll come in for my share of the campaign fund. That's some sense, exclaimed Annixter, shaking him by the hand. Half the fight is over already. We've got Disbro, you know. And the next thing is to get hold of some of those rotten San Francisco bosses. Osterman will... But Harran interrupted him, making a quick gesture with his hand. Don't tell me about it, he said. I don't want to know what you and Osterman are going to do. If I did, I shouldn't come in. Yet for all this, before they said good-bye, Annixter had obtained Harran's promise that he would attend the next meeting of the committee when Osterman should return from Los Angeles and make his report. Harran went on toward Los Muertos. Annixter mounted and rode into Bonneville. End of Book One, Chapter Five, Part Three